The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Andrew Martin. I'm the youth pastor here at Christ the King, and it's my privilege to welcome you to our service this morning. Uh, we are continuing our series uh, in the book of Romans, so I invite you to please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And uh, just as a, a bit of a review, last week we were, uh, Pastor Penny walked us through Romans 7, where we looked at the, the very real and difficult ongoing struggle that Christians have uh, with sin. And what we're going to be looking at this week is how in Romans 8, uh, God speaks to us and shows us how we are set free and that by his power, we actually can follow Jesus. And uh, as we prepare to read this, I'd just like to, to say that, that this is God's word. It is, is absolutely true. And he has given it to us because he loves us very much. So with that in mind, let's read beginning in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you uh, that you are good and that you are loving. We thank you that you have given us your true word. And we just ask now uh, that by your spirit, you would open our hearts, help us to understand and to believe and to live out your word uh, by your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Four hundred and fourteen million. That is the number of pieces of plastic garbage that uh, scientists estimate have washed up on the shores of the Cocos Islands, a small group of islands uh, in the Indian Ocean northwest of Australia. And this is, a, this is a heartbreaking statistic because the Cocos Islands have in the past been described as Australia's last unspoiled paradise. But over the years, as, as plastic has been dumped into the ocean, the ocean currents and waves have continued to wash wave after wave of plastic onto the shore of these beautiful islands. Now, if you were to get on a plane today and go and visit Australia, you wouldn't actually be able to go and count 414 million pieces of plastic. And the reason for that is that one study estimates that 93% of that garbage lies buried about four inches beneath the surface underneath the sand. The Christian life can often feel a lot like the situation on the Cocos Islands. Because in the Christian life, as we read the Bible, 
we see that like the Cocos Islands, the way God made all people is, is beautiful. All people are, are made in God's image and are meant to reflect his character as we show his goodness throughout all the world. We have value. We have, we have purpose. And as Christians in particular, just as we see the beauty of the Cocos Islands, we see the beauty of what Jesus has done in our lives as we've been set free from slavery to sin. And yet, as we reflect on the way we actually live our lives, we also see that like the Cocos Island beaches, our lives are often littered with garbage. As again and again our hearts churn out sin. I mean, this is the struggle Paul was lamenting and crying out over in Romans chapter 7 last week. That even after we become Christians, after we become children of God, our hearts continue to churn out sins against God. And some of our wrongdoing, it, it lies like garbage on the, on the seashore for, in plain sight for all to see. But much of it lies hidden beneath the surface. In both cases, our hearts continue to pour out wave upon wave of sin. And in other words, we are repeat offenders against God. And because of this, some Christians might begin to despair as we fear what God might do with us because of our repeat offenses. Maybe your heart tells you the story that you are hopeless and that God is going to throw you out of his family because you have messed up one or ten or one hundred times too many. Or maybe others have told you the story that God is disgusted with you and that you had better watch out for the lightning bolt. In either case, we, we Christians may sometimes fear that the repeated waves of our sin have washed us like castaways beyond the boundaries of God's grace. And that our story might end with our dying in the sea of our sin. And I got to tell you all, if that story was true for the Christian, it would indeed be a dreadful nightmare. But the Bible God, in his kindness, he actually wakes us up from these kinds of nightmares. And he tells us the true story. He tells us the true story of how God responds to Christians, his children, in the midst of our repeat offenses. Look with me in chapter 8, verse 1. There God says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation, it's a legal term from the courtroom. If someone is condemned, it means that they are sentenced to be punished. So when God says that there is no condemnation for those trusting in Jesus, he's saying that his people are set free from any debt or penalty or punishment for sin. To, to put it another way, when you are trusting in Jesus, all charges have been dropped. And God really wants to emphasize this truth to his children. You see, one commentator explains that in the original Greek, the word order is this, nothing, therefore, now. And, and did you notice that, that that word nothing or no is the first word used? And it is put as the first word on purpose. Nothing or no was chosen as the first word to really drive home the point that there is no condemnation for those trusting in Jesus. There is not a trace. You can look for it all you want and you will not find it. Listen to how a few pastors describe this reality. Dr. Dan Doriani says, according to Romans 7, the strongest disciples still battle sin and lose a few rounds in sporadic mistakes and chronic problems. 
Therefore, we disappoint ourselves. We may even condemn ourselves and fellow believers. But God does not. Dr. Tim Keller describes the reality of verse 1 in this way. He says, Paul is saying categorically that no condemnation exists at all for a believer. It is not waiting in the wings to come back and cloud our future. The moment we belong to Christ Jesus, condemnation is gone forever. There can never be condemnation for us. There is nothing but acceptance and welcome. The true story the Bible is telling us is that although our hearts continue to turn up wave upon wave of sin, if you are trusting in Jesus, God will never cast you out or condemn you. No, instead, God holds you close and with loving tenderness, he tells you the true story of his love for you. Saying in Romans 8, 1, For you, my precious, beloved child, there is no condemnation. God's grace for sin is greater than our struggle with sin. Now, you may be thinking, man, that's, that's a beautiful story. <laughs> but how could that possibly be true? It sounds so good, it might actually, it sounds a little bit like a fairy tale. Well, our Father continues, continues to explain to this to us. Look with me in verse 3. He says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Now, when, when Paul mentions the, uh, the law, in this verse, he's talking about the commands written in the Old Testament. And these commands were good. They reflected God's good character. But he is highlighting here what the law, as good as it is, could not do. The law could not make us right with God or make us obedient to God. Instead, to restore our relationship with God and give us life, God sent his son, Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, that phrase might, might sound a little confusing. But what it means is that, like us, Jesus was truly human. He was, he was flesh and bone. But he was only like us because, unlike us, Jesus did not have or commit any sin. And Jesus became a human, flesh and bone, so that ultimately he could die on the cross in the place of his people. I mean, that's what we see in verse 3, where it says, He was sent in the likeness of flesh for sin. This phrase, for sin, i got to tell you, it's probably one of the most important phrases you will ever hear. Because as one commentator explains, this is a technical term for sin offering. It means that Jesus allowed his body to die on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. And this has had a tremendous effect. Look again in verse 3. It says, he condemned sin in the flesh. That phrase, condemned sin, it means that on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. And that, that is why we as Christians do not face condemnation. Because when Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for sin, he took all the condemnation that we deserve for the waves of garbage we keep washing up. He took that punishment on himself. So that when you are trusting in Jesus, you can look at the waves of sin in your life and you can see them for the garbage that they truly are. But you can also have the peace and comfort of knowing that these waves will not wash you away from God and his love. Because Jesus became a man and died on the cross to pay that price for us. And to give us all the credit for his rightness so that we are right with God. So Christian... 
What story are you listening to? Are you listening to the story of your heart that tells you you're a lost cause? Are you listening to the stories of others that tell you you better watch out for God's lightning bolt because of your continued struggle with sin? Or are you listening to the true story that God tells us? That there is no condemnation for his people because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Are you listening to that story? That's the story I want to hear. But maybe, maybe you're visiting here today, and, or maybe you're listening online, and, and maybe you, you wouldn't actually describe yourself as a Christian. And, and the first thing I want to say is I'm so glad that you would spend your time with us. You are, you are most welcome here, so thank you for coming. But maybe you don't describe yourself as a Christian, but perhaps you do resonate with some of the themes here in Romans 8. For example, perhaps on the one hand, you, you resonate with the goodness that in this passage, God makes it clear that there are things people do this, in this world that are not right. That there is real sin and that these wrong things, these sins need to be dealt with. For example, we've all heard of someone uh, doing something that should not have been done. And in many cases, we thought that is not right. Something needs to be done in response to that. They need to pay for what they did. In other words, we, we have all longed for justice. And if you can relate to this, then you might actually be surprised to find that as we read Romans and other places in the Bible, we discover that God, God actually hates the wrong things in the world more than we do. And he doesn't turn a blind eye to these situations either, but says that there will be accountability and payment. To put it another way, maybe you resonate with the truth that God is a God of justice, that he is actively for what is good and he is against what is wrong? At the same time, though, you, you may find that you long for the true story of God's mercy for his people to be true for you as well. Because as we turn our attention to our own lives, we, we remember that there are many things that we have done wrong. I mean, think about it this way. Imagine that tomorrow you get up, you go to school or, or your place of work or, or, or you're among the, the people that you might be around on a, on a typical basis. And you settle into your chair, your classmates, your coworkers, or your neighbors are, are settled in around you, and um, your teacher or your boss comes up and says, okay, everybody, we're going to kick the day off a little differently this morning. Uh, for the next two to three minutes, I want you to turn to your neighbor. I want you to share with him your deepest, darkest thoughts or deeds. H- how would you, what emotions would begin to stir in your hearts in that moment? I imagine most of us would be terrified. And that we would probably refuse to participate. Because we, we know that there are things we have thought and there are things that we have done that are not right. And that if someone knew them, they would look at us and say, you need to pay for what you did. And we know that in that moment of, of discovery, that we would need and that we would long to be shown forgiveness. That we would long to be shown Mercy. What would it be like in those situations to know that justice had been served and at the same time you had been shown mercy? What would it be like to know that God knows all that you have thought or done and that rather than bringing cancellation and condemnation against you, he reminds you that Jesus died on the cross for you. 
so that the ransom has been paid and you no longer face God's punishment. What would that be like? Friends, this this true story of God's mercy for his people, it can be true for you. And here's how. Trust in Jesus for forgiveness. And know that God is just and has dealt with your sin on the cross and that God has also shown you love and mercy through Jesus on that same cross. And that you are now his precious child who is no longer condemned. And we've, we've covered a lot, so let's just review for a moment where we've been and take a quick look at where we're going. We've, uh, we've seen that we are repeat offenders against God. God's, and that God's grace for sin is greater than our struggle for sin. Specifically, His grace sets us free so that we are no longer condemned. But what we're going to see now is that God's grace also empowers us to follow Jesus as we walk according to the Spirit. Look with me again at the end of verse 3. There it says, He sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God is saying that that those who trust in Jesus experience change in our lives. I mean, look at there in verse 4. He talks about we are not those who walk according to the flesh. We are those who walk according to the Spirit. This verse shows that there are two ways people can live. But what does Paul mean when he says, walk according to the flesh? Well, it's important to remember that words have a range of meaning. They can mean different things in different contexts. And in some contexts, flesh can mean physical bodies, flesh and bone, like what we talked about earlier. And we know that God created human bodies and declared them very good. But the word flesh can also, in other instances, uh, signify something negative. And, And that is how the word flesh is being used here. To paraphrase one commentator in verse 4, walk in accordance with the flesh, it's shorthand for lining our sins up with sin and against God and his goodwill. So a person walks in the way of sin according to the flesh, or a person walks in God's good ways according to the spirit. And when we are trusting in Jesus and have received his spirit, by the spirit's power, we now walk according to the spirit. And the righteous requirement of God's law, as we saw in verse 4, begins to be fulfilled in us. Now, that's, that's a lot of words. <laughs> Sorry, thank you for bearing with me. Uh, let me put it another way. We actually begin to live life the way that God desires us to live, as you see described in his word. Not in the sense that it, it saves us by our works, but in the sense that we actually begin to obey him more and more. Do, do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that God begins to turn the tide in our lives. We will struggle with sin, no doubt, as we saw in Romans 7, but we can also expect to see progress. And as we grow to look more and more like Jesus and follow him more closely, we will have setbacks. We won't do this perfectly until Jesus returns, but we have hope. We have hope as we expect to see change and growth and holiness. This is, it's kind of like this video I saw one time of these, uh, these sailors in the U.S. Navy, and they were going through Navy SEAL training. And part of their training included they would get them into groups of about eight or so, and they would line up, and, and each group would gather around this rubber boat on the beach, and then they would pick the rubber boat up into the, um, off the sand, they'd run it out into the water, they'd jump into the boat, and then they would just start to paddle furiously. And the goal was you've got to get out past where the waves are breaking. 
And it's kind of fun, like, if you're not in the boat to watch these videos, uh, because this is in San Diego. And so the waves there get a little gnarly, and it's really cold water. And so you'll see these guys, they're, like, digging. And these are, like, tough dudes, right? They're, like, digging their paddles in, like, going, 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 going. And they get up, and there's this wave, and it just gets really, really high. And they go way up the wave's face, and you're like, you're going to make it. And then you're like, no, you're not. And because the boat starts to tip back, and it goes sideways, and they're just thrown everywhere. That's like our struggle with sin. But with time, they actually begin to get a little bit better. They begin to work better as a team. They begin to figure out how to time the waves. And eventually you start to see them. They do start to break through those breakers. And they break out into the calmer seas. And that is the hope that God gives us. Is that not by our own strength, not by our own ingenuity, but by His Spirit living within us, we can actually begin to break through those breakers of temptation and begin to live a more and more holy life. Knowing that we will get thrown out, and there's no condemnation for that, and we can expect to see progress. But how would we know that we were growing? Like, what would that look like? It's pretty clear for those guys, you know, that they're making progress, because it's like, oh great, you didn't get thrown out of your bed again. How would we know that for us? What would that look like? Well, uh, verse 4 actually tells us that. It it tells us uh, that the righteous requirement begins to be fulfilled in our lives. Did you notice how the word requirement is singular? It's not requirements, it's requirement. What is this requirement? Friends, the requirement is love. The requirement is love, and we know this because later in Romans 13, Paul will remind us that all of God's commands, including the Ten Commandments, can be summarized by the word love. And in fact, Jesus in Matthew 22 taught us that the command to love God and neighbor sums up all the other laws in Scripture. That love is the common thread. And this truth can can actually begin to shape our personal Bible reading and prayer time in very practical ways. Like maybe you've wondered, man, how do I read the Bible and pray on my own? And there's there's actually a a lot of ways that you could do that that are really helpful. Uh, But but one way that I would commend to you is that before you open God's word, you, could, you can pray. Say, Lord, show me today, as I read your word, what it looks like to love people. What it looks like to fulfill the righteous requirement in your word. And as you read and as he reveals this to you, you can do three more things. You can confess, you can ask, and you can thank. It's kind of fun. It's C-A-T if you want to remember that. But for example, as you read the command not to covet... If you remember specific ways you have coveted things your neighbor has, you can confess those things to God. You say, Lord, Lord, um, I confess that I have coveted this specific gift or this specific possession that my neighbor has. And then you can ask him, Lord, help me to repent. Help me to be content with the things that you have given to me. And then you can give thanks. You can say, Lord, thank you that my coveting does not lead to my condemnation. And as you begin to see progress, as you begin to see him growing, you can thank him for that too. Like, Lord, thank you for this growth that you're showing me. As we read God's word, as he helps us uh, to learn to love, as we respond to him through prayer, he can use these means of grace to help us to grow, to help us to become people who walk according to the spirit, who follow Jesus, who fulfill the righteous requirement. And looking again at this passage, Paul makes it clear that that this growth, any growth we see, is only possible because we have the Spirit. Look with me again in verse 5. 
He says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. Many commentators agree that when Paul says in verse five, live according to the flesh or spirit, that he is describing who a person is. Another way of translating it could be to swap the word live with exist or are. Those who exist according to the flesh or or those who are according to the flesh or the spirit. We're we're talking here about a person's nature, about, about their very being. And so if someone exists according to the spirit, their minds are set on the things of God. They are lovingly ruled and shaped by him, so they are able to obey him, as we saw in verse 4. And the opposite of this is true for those who exist according to the flesh. And which one of these realities is true for us is a big deal. Because as we see in verse 6, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. If you have the Spirit, your destiny is life and peace. But if you do not, and this is a hard thing to hear, if you do not, the destination is eternal death and punishment. Why is that? Look with me in verse 7. He says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. He's saying that those who are of the flesh are hostile to God because they do not obey him. And in fact, they cannot obey him. This means that if you are not trusting in Jesus, you are God's enemy and it is impossible for you to earn his favor by your own good works. But as we close, I just want to remind us that as we saw earlier, this, this doesn't have to be how the story ends. If you are not a follower of Jesus, there is still hope. You can have a change in destination from death to life because Jesus, the author of life, made his destination death on the cross for you. So that if you trust him, you can be changed from being of the flesh to being of the spirit, from being hostile to God to being one who is welcomed by God as his child. And there is no price for you to pay for this gift. It's just there to receive. Will you trust in Jesus and receive this gift? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, that you speak good and true and sometimes difficult things, but true nonetheless in your word. Lord, we thank you that for those who trust in you, we can have the great joy of knowing that we are no longer condemned, but that we are free to walk in the good and beautiful ways of Jesus by your spirit. And we pray, Father, that as we do that, we would expect and and be hopeful and begin to see more and more growth as we fulfill the requirement to love, Lord, because you have first loved us. And we pray, Lord, that as the world sees the love we have for you and for one another and for our neighbors, that they would be captivating and that they would long to know what it is that has changed us and that they, too, would come to know the change that comes in your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.